You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Hey, so my name is Mike Hall. I'm a pastor here at Bethel. Uh, For the last several weeks, we have been looking at the book of Proverbs here as we talk about wisdom. And I love Proverbs. The, the reason being is well, they're short and they're easy. They're nugget size. I feel like Jack Dorsey, when he invented Twitter, he might have read the book of Proverbs and thought, hey, this is a way to communicate. Uh, 140 characters or less and very retweetable. That's Proverbs. It's simple. So here at Bethel, we are going to stay in the genre of wisdom But we're going to move from the book of Proverbs to the book of Psalms. Now, the book of Psalms, although still about wisdom, are, well, it's a bit different. So, as Proverbs is bullet points, nuggets, Psalms are a little bit more emotional. They're a little bit more artsy. They speak from and to the heart. Uh, It's a, well... It's so free for the psalmist to say what they want that a psalmist in writing the word of God can even say something about God that's not necessarily true. The psalmist can say something like, the Lord has forsaken me or the Lord's left me. And it's not that God has left him, but the psalmist would think, I feel so empty and I feel so alone that it feels like God is not even here. So when we read the psalms, we're not looking at reading the psalms Theologically, although there's theological truths in there, or it's not a narrative, but it's a book of wisdom. It's a book of poetry. Now, here's the confession. I'm not very good when it comes to poetry or art or emotion. Now, it makes for a fantastic marriage, right? It's harder for me. When I read the Psalms, it it feels to me a little bit the same way as that when I'm hanging out with the guys uh, who work at the foundry uh, or or maybe in the band. Like they have cool hair and they wear beanies and they cool clothes and they know art. And and I kind of walk in and I'm like the dad in khakis with a wrinkled Target shirt on going, hey guys. And I feel a little bit out of place. Like I'm trying to make it work. The band. I mean, you've got Lauren with the cool hair and McGill with his chest hair coming out and doing his stuff. And I'm, I'm back here just going, I'm, I'm trying the best I can. I still believe that poems should rhyme. And be with me here. Um, otherwise, if they don't, they're just words together. But at the same time, as we read the Psalms, and we see the art and the poet, uh, the poetry, I know that it's good. Because even if you're like me, someone who has a hard time and needs maybe an emotion coach uh, every once in a while, that you can be moved by art. And you can be moved by poetry. Uh, For me, it's sometimes when I see the to the crazy one Apple commercial, or, or in Dead Poet Society, when uh, Mr. Keating's walking out and everyone's standing on their desk, that, that there's pictures and glimpses of art that makes me go, yes. And how cool is it that God's word is poetry as well, that, that the Lord embraces art 
in the goodness of it. So as we stay in the genre of wisdom and move from the Proverbs to the Psalms, we want to read the Psalms knowing that it is art. It's designed for us to speak from our heart, to give us permission to speak from our heart. And it's also inerrant and God breathed just like the other 65 books of the Bible. So to jump in, let's start and read Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad, mood, of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away the desires of the wicked will perish. When we look at Psalm 112, it's actually a bit of a continuation of the psalm right before it, Psalm 111. If they weren't written at the same time, they were definitely meant to go together. So here's some things. Psalm 111 and Psalm 112, uh, both the context or the content of it goes in line with each other. Another thing is that they're both 22 lines long. But here's the crazy thing. Both Psalm 111 and Psalm 112, they're acrostics. Those are those things you did maybe in third grade when you wrote a Valentine's to your mom and it said, you know, Valentine, V-A-L-E-N-T-I-E-N. You go V, very awesome mom. A, awesome mom still, right? And, and, and you would do that thing. So, that's how this scripture is written in the original Hebrew language that the first letter of each Hebrew alphabet starts the next line. So not only, as we talked a little bit about art and about poetry, God's word, God ordained his scripture to be written in an artful way. That's a little bit mind-blowing to me. It's kind of cool as I'm studying it. And it also, again, gives us another glimpse into the arts. If you are an artist, if you're a screenwriter or a playwright or, or a singer or a songwriter or a musician or a painter or a sculptor, if you do art, I'd ask you to lean into your craft. Learn it. Get really, really good at it. Because the kingdom of God, the church, we, me, my soul, we need that. We need art. We need people to communicate to our hearts and not just our head. We need good theological teaching, but we also need to be moved. We need people to do art that makes us think that sin is evil and that God is good. And right now, most of the art out there does the opposite of that. So if you're an artist, I need you. My heart needs you. Uh, 
And I love that God's word speaks in poetry, that he affirms good art and good poetry and the usage of words. So Psalm 111 and Psalm 112, Psalm 111 speaks to the attributes of God, while Psalm 112 focuses on man's response to God. So here's how Spurgeon compares the two. In talking about Psalm 112, he says, It bears the same relation to the preceding, which the moon does to the sun. For while the first declares the glory of God, the second speaks of the reflection of the divine brightness in men born from above. If we just look at Psalm 112, it lists out what a righteous man, a righteous person looks like. And if we just take that alone at face value, it might look like a big to-do list, a big uh, th- list of things that we need to do to be righteous. But we know, in light of the Galatians series we just went through, and in light of reading Psalm 111 right before that, that Psalm 112 is not a list of things to do, but it's as the moon reflects the sun. Psalm 112 is a a reflection of here's who I am, not because of myself, not because I can brag, because I haven't done any of the work, but because of what God has done. And, And the psalmist in both psalms, they start out exactly the same way, showing that the focus on both Psalms 111 and 112 is not on man, but on God. They both start the same way, praise the Lord, or alleluia. That they both, they both mean uh, they, God to the glory, not man. As the psalmist moves in, there's a connecting point then between the end of Psalm 11 and the beginning of Psalm 112. The end of Psalm 111 reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then Psalm 112, right after praise the Lord, says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandment. Before the psalmist goes into the list of a righteous person, he states his thesis, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, that blessed is the man who fears the Lord and delights in his commandments. So we, we hear fear, and so it makes sense to go, what, what does that mean? In fact, the term fear of the Lord is mentioned over 300 times in Scripture. So we know it's a big deal. But when we talk about the fear of the Lord, it is talked in a positive light. But we also know in John chapter 4, he says perfect love casts out fear, which there's a negative piece of fear. So how, how do those things blend together? What does that look like? Well, we look in the positive light. We know several examples in Scripture where the fear of the Lord means something good. Uh, We know that Moses, uh, when he was picking his leaders, uh, picked people because they had the fear of the Lord and did not take bribes. We know that uh, Joseph, uh, in giving himself credibility to his brothers, said he he had the fear of the Lord. We know Pharaoh, the reason that there was a disaster brought to his nation was because he did not fear the Lord. Just so you think it's not just an Old Testament thing, Jesus himself says, do not be afraid of those that can kill you, but be afraid. Have fear of the one who can destroy both your body and your soul. That the fear of the Lord is a positive thing. So we do have to look to say, what, what exactly does it mean? Well, there's two things. The first 
is to fear the Lord is to have a respect or a reverence for him. This is why, if you're a Christian, when you hear the Lord's name in vain, the Holy Spirit sometimes gives you a feeling because you want to hold God in reverence and in fear. The opposite of this would be pride and arrogance, where if you don't hold God in reverence, but you hold yourself in higher esteem. But it doesn't just stop the fear of the Lord. It doesn't just stop in respect and honor, but it's also recognizing God's power. We don't want to assume that the world is the ultimate threat and God is just here to offset that. God is far scarier than the world. The world's temporary and God's eternal. Yet as we, it's God who sits on the judgment of our throne, but it's also God who forgives us, who casts out the fear of the eternal consequences of what our sin is. God is big and he's scary, but as Lucy knows, he's also good. It's not enough to fear God, but we also must love him, to delight in him. Fear will keep us from evil, but love leads us to obedience. And the psalmist knows this because he continues. Right as he talks about the fear of the word, he says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights in his commandments. So this man, this righteous man, he doesn't just endure God's commandments or, or even obey his commandments, but he delights in his commandments. We know this from parenting, right? So if we have kids and they disobey and, and you punish them and however you do, and that's all you do, it might make for some obedient kids, but it's not a very lovely house. But if you also discipline your kids, but you love them, that you hug them, you snuggle them, you tickle them, you listen to them, you get down on eye level and hear them, that's our relationship. That's where love happens. That's what the blessed man does. They sees God as someone to fear, to respect, to understand his power, but also delights in who he is. There might be a little bit of a takeaway there to, to think, what is easier for you? Is it to fear God or is it to delight in him? Some people, fearing God is not a problem. They get who he is, but they don't laugh. They don't have joy. They don't get the goodness of him. Or on the flip side, if just Jesus is my homie and he's your buddy, but there needs to be a reverence and a fear as well. The wise man knows both. Scripture continues. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of his upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. So there's a piece here about what the, the righteous man will have wealth, and we do have to remember, again, in context of the psalm, we want to read it as a piece of poetry, uh, of a piece of wisdom, not of a promise from God. So it's not saying if you obey God, you'll have lots of money. Uh, that's... It's not a theological statement. But the flavor and the feeling of this scripture is one of, of future generations. That the 
Man who fears God, who delights in his commandments, sees things way beyond this lifetime or even the next lifetime, but of generations. And that's their worldview, their picture. I have a friend, I, well, okay, so here's a, a weird other confession for me, is I love to set goals and objectives every year. I get a little bit giddy about it. Sometimes I try to get my family to do it, and they're going, are you for real, Dad? Uh, but I like it. Uh, I like to do it personally and in, in business. Uh, I was talking to some a friend this week about how he sets goals for his company, and he says that their company does what they call ABZ goals. So this is what they are. He says our A goals are things that we want to get done this year. Our B goals are things that we want to get done in the next oh, two to five years. And so we start thinking about what are the things to do now to get set up for that in the future. And then they have these Z goals. And these Z goals are things that might happen 15 to 20 years from now, that if they did some things today, how might that set them up in a couple of decades? And so he's talking about how when you have the A people together and the Z people together, they drive each other crazy and all of that. But as he told me that, and I was reading the scripture this week, the wise man isn't just looking at Z goals, but of triple Z goals, of goals way beyond what he sees. And it makes me think, how are we to live today to be a wise man that would affect not just our kids or our grandkids, but what could we do to live that would affect our great, 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 great grandkids? How do we permeate a culture in our lives, in our families, that pastor generations beyond us. And we know that the inverse is true. I mean, we know that sin is generational. We know sin of abuse that's been passed down. We know systemic sin of things like racism that's been passed down. But blessing is passed down as well. That your, some of your great, 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 great grandparents were Christians and thus their family beneath them were Christians and their family's Christians and you were brought up in a Christian household by God's ordained will. That's how your life has formed. It's a fun thing to think of. How do we, how do we think generationally? The psalm continues, light dawns in that darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. This is the part of the psalm that speaks how the wise and righteous, when they fear God, what they do when they face adversary or adversity. So the first principle here is that you will face opposition. So if you're not a Christian right now, and you feel opposition, if you have adversaries, let me tell you this. When you become a Christian, you'll still have opposition, and you'll still have adversaries. A Christian is not free from people being against them. But what's different is the wise man, the one who fears God, understands that God is bigger. And not just kind of bigger. As Scripture says, as, as the light dawns in the darkness. In this room, when it's pitch black in here, don't do that, but when it is, and someone flips the lights on, there's not this struggle for the light bulb to overcome the darkness in this battle that goes back and forth. No. The darkness is gone. The light 
overcomes the darkness because the light has defeated the darkness. There's not a battle here. And the wise man, when, when you fear the Lord, you recognize that. It allows you to live righteousness. The third part is that the man who fears the Lord deals generously even when facing opposition. In business, in your affairs, when things aren't going as they should, when your boss is riding you, when your accounts receivables aren't coming in, do you act the same? Do you still treat people fairly and justly? Or, or maybe it's just in everyday life. When cash is tight and you go out to eat, do you stiff the waitress a little bit? Or do you still act just? If you fear the Lord, then of course you do. But if you trust in yourself and your own abilities to provide, then, well, then you might hesitate. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Again, picture the man who fears the Lord, seeing a bigger picture of life. There's four things here. He won't be moved. He won't be afraid of bad news. His heart's firm, trusting the Lord. And his heart is steady, and he will not be afraid. The righteous is not afraid of bad news, to be afraid of what hasn't happened or, or to worry, or, or when you get in the habit of worrying, to be anxious and have anxiety. Now, here's the deal. When it comes to anxiety, I, I know that it can be a real thing. And, and there are uh, friends of mine who have uh, medical conditions where the uh, hormones or, or the waves in their brain, that something isn't as it should. And there is anxiety is produced by that. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the medical condition of anxiety. I'm talking about general worry. So here's the deal. I did a little bit of research on, on this. And interesting enough that general worrying, acceptable worrying, uh, according to the elements of behavioral health is about 55 minutes a day. If you worry for 55 minutes a day, according to, to the uh, elements of behavioral health, you're normal. Once you get to 300 minutes a day, then that's when it becomes an issue. And, and I want to go, hold on a second. We, we've gotten to the place where we're saying it's okay for an hour a day to worry, to have anxiety. Well, of course because our culture doesn't have the fear of the Lord as a staple of how we want to act. Now, at one hand to say, hey, so stop worrying. Stop being anxious. Okay, I'm going to try real hard to do that. It doesn't work that way. What we want to do is see ourselves in the right relationship with the Lord and put that into perspective and then worry begins to not have its place. But again, easier said than done. I mean, let me be honest um, and tell you part of my story. So several years back, I, I had this business and it was not doing well. I, I had uh, money that was owed to me that wasn't coming in. I had bills going out. 
that wouldn't happen. I had this inventory disaster. I couldn't entrust employees. I, 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 the whole thing was a mess. And I would, uh, I, I'd lay up in bed at night and not sleep and, and do what-if scenarios in my head. And, okay, if this money comes in, then I can pay this bill here, and then I'll float this and make this work. And, uh, no, that won't work. And I, I just run it over and over again. I wasn't sleeping, and I was grumbly, and all throughout the day was just <clears throat> like this. And I was also alone because I didn't want to tell anybody that things were messed up because I had to be the man. I, I, I had this pride, and I had to be the business guy that could make things work and make it happen, so I, I didn't want anyone to know, which just fueled the anxiety because I wasn't fearing God. I wasn't delighting in his commandments. Instead, I was delighting in myself. I was delighting in the abilities that I thought I had, and, and well, there wasn't a place for God there. And then my wife lovingly and graciously reminded me that I, I was not that important. <laughs> and that God is. And as I moved from focusing on me and focusing on God, then the worry and the anxiety wasn't as big of a deal. But I get it. It's easier said than done. Uh, when you get bad news, when, when your boss calls for that meeting that you don't want to have, or the doctor says he needs to come actually see you to discuss the test results, or you see that Facebook message that gives you a punch in the gut, God isn't surprised. He's ahead of us in this. And we can trust him and fear him and delight in his commandments. Scripture continues, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. When it comes to distributing freely and giving to the poor, we could do a 15-part series on giving and generosity but I just want to briefly look at it in context of, of this scripture, of the person that fears God and who recognizes his power. Uh, God who owns everything and lets us use his stuff. And, and a wise man says, Meh, I'm going to give it away freely because it's not mine anyway. I, oh, this is nine or ten years ago. I went into Home Depot. I've been into Home Depot since then, but this was nine or ten years ago. And I was with my oldest son, Noah, and we uh, went through the checkout line and got whatever widget we were buying, and there was some Skittles there for the buying. And uh, so Noah said, hey, can, can I get some Skittles? I said, oh, sure, you can get some Skittles. And so I bought him some Skittles, and we're walking out, and I looked over, and it was the Skittles that have the green package with the little sour sugar stuff on top of them, and he's eating them, and I'm looking going, man, those Skittles look really good. And we're walking to the car, and I said, hey, Noah, uh, can I have a Skittle? And he goes, no. <laughs> I'm going, I just bought you those Skittles. In fact, I could be the king of Skittles if I wanted to. I could buy you four truckloads of Skittles and drop them to our house every day. But you won't give me a Skittle that I just paid for? He just 
smiling, eating his little sour Skittles. Isn't that what we do with God? He's given us everything. And if we recognize that he's given us everything, and we recognize that he has the power to give us everything more, well, then of course the man who fears God distributes freely. It's not his. And he's got a God, he's got a dad that can bring him a truckload of Skittles. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desires of the wicked will perish. The psalm ends with the inverse of a wise man. The person who does not fear God puts their faith and trust in himself. And when he sees what he wants, when he sees that someone else has what he wants, he just gets mad and angry. Maybe another litmus test to go, where are we? Are we someone that delights in the commandments or someone who gets mad and angry and gnashes our teeth when other people have what we want? So we look at the application of this. Here are some things, if we were to say, what does this psalm tell me to do that we could say? I'll just list them. He's a lover of God's word. He's a prosperous man. He's a loving and kind man. He's a generational thinking man. He's a helping man. He's a wise man. He's a strong man. He's a generous man. He's a man who does not abuse power. He is a hated man. I hope you wrote all those down. Seems like a big to-do list, right? How do we do that? Well, by doing one thing. By fearing the Lord. By being the moon that just reflects what the sun has done. Our application here is to rethink our thinking and to remember who God is. To understand that God is bigger than we can understand and more powerful than than we can comprehend and loves us to death. We want to fear the Lord and delight in his commandments. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us and we want to recognize our position that anything good that comes out of what we do is nothing but a reflection of what you've done in our life. And so we thank you. We boast in you. I thank you for Psalms, for being a God that embraces art and beauty and goodness and things that move us, that you're not just an intellectual God, but you are a God of passion and feeling and love. I pray for everyone, including me in this room, that we would feel your love, that we'd get it, and that we'd love you more. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.